This is clearly not Alan Donegan's voice, which means this is a takeover episode. I'm Tim Desmond from Teaching Transformations, and I'm excited to talk to Alan today about retirement and FI and what it means to live the perfect life. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun, and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Alan, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I, I've been listening to uh, the podcast from, from the very beginning. I've, I've heard, you know, listened to you on the, on the Choose FI uh, podcast. And I, you know, I, as I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you and knowing that I had like precious time uh, having you all to myself and, and the podcast world, I was really thinking more about retirement. And I think it's a function of my age. Uh, I turned 50 this year and it's an age. Congratulations. Never really... You're looking Thank good. You. Thanks. I made it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm 42 just for context. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're approaching that. And, and you know, um, and birthdays. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'm not I'm even thinking about 50 the blow a yet. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, birthdays were never really something I thought about, but I, I had this moment where I looked at my retirement accounts that I had from when I was working nine to five jobs and realized that in nine and a half years, I can start drawing down on those. And wow. I started thinking about, wow, well, retirement, like, what is that? Um, what is that? I'm a Gen Xer. What's that going to mean for me versus a baby boomer or a millennial? So I thought a good place to start would be to get your definition of retirement. You know, what is it? What, what, what's it going to mean to you? Well, I think I've been on a journey with this word, Tim. Um, I, my mind was blown by Tim Ferriss in the book, Four Hour Work Week, where he talked about mini retirements and his concept which just threw me was in traditional world we get a job we work for 40 years we save up all our money and then retirement is this thing that we do at the end of life uh when we're old we can't walk as well we can't see as well um and we're older just than like, 50 by the way yeah <laughs> they the average is like 66, 68, right. something Very like old. that. Very old. Very <laughs> To anyone listening who's that age, you're still young, honestly. I'm, my definition of young is changing every year as I age. Um, but that was the sort of standard way of looking. And I thought, that sounds like a hideous plan. I don't want to work for 45 years to then like have my least physically capable years be my re retirement. He introduced the idea of mini-retirement, so spread your retirement throughout your career and that really struck me and Katie and I took a six-month mini retirement for our wedding in 2014. We went traveling, we explored the world, um, it was just amazing. Then we found out about financial independence that said, oh you don't have to do mini retirements and you don't have to work until you're 65, you can save and invest your money and if you do it right like there's a way to get there a lot quicker and then I thought, like, my most current definition of retirement is like, retirement is just the freedom to do whatever you want to do. And technically, I'm retired under my definition because my assets, my investments bring in more money than I need to live. So therefore, I don't have to work if I want to. 
which then brings the question, what do you want to do with your life? Which is a fascinating one. And I want to run a podcast that inspires people. I want to run a finance school that helps people take charge of their finances because I get a huge amount out of it. I want to travel around the world and eat all the food. I want to have fun. I want to, that's what I want to do. So retirement for me, simple definition is freedom to do what you want to do. Love that. It's super simple. You know, my parents who are baby boomers, their idea of retirement was stop working and then basically sit on the couch, maybe visit <laughs> grandkids. And I had uh, I had a 25-year career as a classroom teacher. And so I had uh, summer months where I didn't have to work. And I can tell you the first couple of weeks, it was glorious. Uh, I would sit on the couch and I would Netflix and I would eat whatever I wanted and I would sleep in. And after about two or three weeks of that, you start getting restless. And by the time August or September would roll around, I was ready to do something again. Can, can you see... So, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, should we aim for that sort of version of retirement where we're just sitting around or is retirement more about what you said, which is finding a passion, even if it means earning money, but it's, it's directed, it's intentional. So I, I remember going to a, a Chautauqua event, which is a financial independence retreat. And I was listening to Mr. Money Mustache, Pete, and he said, in a very Vulcan Star Trek type way, the only logical pursuit is happiness. And that really struck me as like, oh, that's interesting. Happiness is the pursuit. Then you start to think, well, what leads to happiness? And two of the major elements of happiness are contribution and growth. Am I growing? Do I feel like I'm improving? Do I feel like I'm going somewhere? And if you're sat on the couch watching Netflix, how much are you growing? If you're sat on the beach having a margarita, how much are you growing? Uh, and then the second bit is contribution. What am I giving to my world? And by my world, uh, it's whatever your world is. It might be your kids. It might be your family. It might be the people around you. It might be the people you work with. For you, I'm assuming it's the teaching profession because you've got this podcast that helps share curated resources to teachers in their 40s and 50s to design a post-academic life. Like, what a cool thing. Like, you are giving to the world. Uh, and mine is giving entrepreneurship advice, giving finance advice, helping people. Like, if I feel like I'm contributing to the world and I'm growing, I'm happy. And if I'm sat on the beach drinking margaritas, dipping my toes in the water, I'm not contributing. I'm not growing. I've not got community around me. That doesn't lead to happiness. And when you actually like boil this right back, it's what leads to happiness because that's what we all want. Like if everyone was just a little bit happier, the world would be a better place. God, I feel like we should all hold hands and sing <laughs> Kumbaya, my Lord, around the thing. But you, does that make any kind of sense to you, Tim? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, uh, it's one of the reasons why I love listening to your podcast is you don't take yourself too seriously and you enjoy <laughs> life and you enjoy what you're doing. And I'm, I'm really drawn to that. Uh, the, the, the flip side to it for me is I have conversations with folks who are my age or my contemporaries and, and they say something that's pretty common for Gen Xers, which is, well, we're a sandwich generation. We have aging parents that we have to take care of on the front end. And when we have college age kids that we're trying to get through school on, on the back end. And 
I just don't have any time. Like I, I'm, I feel trapped. I'm on this, I'm on this treadmill. Uh, how am I going to be happy? How am I going to save for retirement when I have these other responsibilities to take care of? So the treadmill is a fascinating thing because we we get on a treadmill and I think we do this in business terms as well. Simon and I have spoken about feeding the beast for want of a better term because we built Rebel Business School. We have a team of staff. They're incredible. Don't call them staff. They're basically (laughs) my friends. Um, And we have this team of people, but we have to run events to bring in money to be able to pay everyone. So we've created this treadmill or this beast that needs feeding that we have to keep selling to keep doing it. And it's really interesting. And I think people do that in their life as well. And to give you the sort of example that I have in my head of this, we have some friends, uh, they have high paying, high stress jobs. And the way they justify that is they spend more on having their kitchen redone, having the most incredible Sonos speaker sound system in their house, and they spend a huge amount. And they say, well, I'm spending because I need to, because my job is stressful. And it's really interesting. They think that they're trapped by this, but actually, if they stopped the spending then they would be able to get off the treadmill because they don't have to continually feed the beast with new kitchens, new gadgets, new stuff, the next whatever it is, the bigger car. And people think they're on a treadmill, and they are, but you don't have to be. Just step to one side, turn down the speed. You don't have to be trapped by this treadmill. You can live a different way. But I think in today's society, we don't think we have options. We think we have to have this stuff to be happy. And so therefore, the treadmill is real. I just wish I could help people off. Go around one by one, lifting them off the treadmill, going, <laughs> you don't have to do this. It's okay. Do you think more people globally after the pandemic are realizing this, that they, they can step off? I think, yeah, we've had a huge shock to the system. Uh, I saw a post recently in the Choose FI. Choose FI podcast uh, It's a podcast about financial independence, to those of you who don't know. And they have this group on Facebook, and there was this guy in there saying, uh, I've worked at home for the last year, and they're telling me that everyone has to go back to work. I don't want to do that. Does anyone know any of high-paying jobs where I can work remotely? And I think people have started to shift their thinking and the way they operate And just this morning, I'm in Colombia, helping to build the Rebel Business School here. And we were down at breakfast at the little cafe below. And this guy walks past and we strike up a conversation. And he's a software engineer from California. And he's decided to move down to Colombia for a couple of months because he can work for anywhere. And the cost of living in Colombia compared to California is unbelievable unbelievably cheap here and he stepped off the treadmill he's created an incredible gap that if he saves and invests it it changes life forever and the problem is if you've got kids and you've got college fees and you've got all of this different stuff you feel like you've got this huge beast this huge treadmill that you have to keep feeding with your salary and you feel trapped Let's look at the other side of this. And this is a bit of a loaded question because I think 
<laughs> we already, love a good loaded question. Yeah, I mean, you're already doing it. But the question is, what would you do if you never had to worry about money again? Well, this is an interesting bit because I've actually asked myself this question because this is technically exactly our situation is we never have to earn another penny if we don't want to. Then you start to go, what do I actually want to do with life? Um, and this happened for me, I think I was, yeah, I was just turning 40 there or thereabouts. And my mother, it, her birthday, like it's a big zero one. I won't say which one, but it's the <laughs> same year as my zero one, just a couple of decades on. And we, we went to Italy. We, the family took her to Italy for her birthday and I was sat on the grand canal in Venice. It was an amazing setting. I asked myself this exact question and like, what would I do if I didn't have to worry about money? And the answer was, I've always wanted to write a movie. Uh, and I think lots of people have dreams like that, that I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to do that. And I was like, well, I don't even know if I like writing Tim. I like, I've always wanted to do it, <laughs> but I don't even know if I'll enjoy this. So I did a mini experiment we booked two months. I was like, where else would you go to write a movie other than Hollywood? So exactly. like, I'm very stereotypical. Like <laughs> I, I went and spent two months in LA with my wife and I wrote a movie and it was amazing. And we had a huge amount of fun. And I keep asking that question again and again, because I keep getting new answers. There's so much stuff to do in life. I don't know about you, but I'm like, there's a whole world of possibilities out here. How could everyone get bored? I don't understand it. Like, there's so much to do. There's so much cool stuff. Um, and I keep asking that question, and I keep doing new things and trying new things and doing mini experiments. And the podcast was a mini experiment that has turned into, like, we're, like, deep into year two of it now. And it keeps growing and I enjoy it. Like I get to speak to people like you and share ideas and thoughts and philosophies and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. And I keep going with what sticks and I pretend the other stuff never happened. <laughs> Selective memory. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, take us back a little bit and, and tell us a, um, a little bit about how you made the transition to be in a place now where where uh, incoming revenue is not a concern of yours. So I think the light bulb moment was, and I don't particularly like the author, but the book was phenomenal. Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He spoke about assets versus liabilities. And an asset is something that puts money in your pocket. A liability is something that strips money out of your pocket. And I was like, oh, I've spent my life buying liabilities. I buy pizza. That doesn't give me any money. I buy cars. That doesn't give me any money. I bought a, a, an apartment. That just takes money out of my pocket. I wonder if I can buy an asset. And that sent me on like a two-year journey of going, what is an asset? How do I buy one? Where do I get it? Uh, eventually, we bought some investment properties, but that was an ordeal. That was tough. Then we found out about financial independence and it was like, ah. Oh, there's an easy way to buy assets. I'll just buy a Vanguard index fund. I bought a global Vanguard index fund. So easy. You can start with a small amount of money. And then I was buying assets and I got addicted because this expression, buy your freedom first. I'm not going to buy plastic stuff for the house. 
I'm not going to spend my money on a big car. I'm going to spend my money on freedom, which means buying assets. And then we, we got addicted. Every penny we had was buying assets. And then they start to compound. Um, so your assets earn money, which you reinvest into more assets and more assets. And then suddenly you've got loads of assets. Like we own a huge amount of companies around the world and all of this stuff through index funds. And then it compounds to the point that your assets earn more money than you need to live. And therefore you are technically financially independent, retired, uh, and you change the way you live. Um, my, my business partner, Simon had a bit of a shock. I think probably five years before I hit the number, I said to him, just so you know, I'm aiming towards FI. It'll be around about my 40th birthday uh, you know, and then five years passed and I say to him, okay, so I did it. I've hit FI. Uh, I'm going to be taking a step back. And he just looked at me and went, what? That happened quickly. Wasn't expecting that. It's like, well, I did tell you. Um, <laughs> uh, there was a very long rambling answer to how did I get there with the key message being buy assets, not liabilities. Well, I love this, and I want to I want to poke a little deeper into this one, uh, if I can, because I find your story really inspiring. Because I think I feel like in the FI community, there's a an overemphasis on real estate, and mm. I I find real estate mentally burdensome. Like, I don't even like owning my own house. Like, when my wife's like the toilet's leaking, I, I'm just like, oh, oh, that's another, you know. Oh. And I'm thinking like. And I understand you can get a property manager and you can and you can be hands off, but that that cuts into your into your revenue and and you still have to manage the property manager. So so there's this mental burden that that real estate carries. And for that reason, I, I've just not been willing to to approach that. But I think the index funds to me feels like something that I can manage and it isn't gonna be a, a mental burden. So um is that what you've is that why you've moved away from real estate? real estate do you see yourself going back to it at any point <laughs> definitely not going back to it i'm trying to get okay. rid of it um <laughs> we bought two studio apartments in basingstoke that we rented out they got good return and when we lived in basingstoke it was great so if the shower broke if the toilet broke i would walk down the hallway repair the tenant's shower and then walk back and it was fine now we've gone traveling around the world it's a pain in the neck you lose a tenant, COVID happens, we're trying to change keys, like it's just, and what we've realized, like, if we drew a scale for the audience between zero, zero being the most passive investment you can get, i.e. you put your money in, that's about it, that's all you do, to 10 being the most active investment you can get, which I would probably say is owning your own business to start with. Because it takes up all of your mental energy, all of your time. Like is it, it, it can be incredible, but it's a lot of work. And property, like if you have a manager, can be down at three or four, maybe two. Uh, if you don't have a manager, can be up at five or six, depending on what's happening in the world. Whereas index funds, like if you get your mindset straight about it. It's like down at zero or one. You put your money in. Katie and I literally just check the numbers once a month and going, how much have we got? Awesome. Do nothing. 
Uh, and that's basically it. Like if it's gone up, we go, yay. If it's gone down, we go, yay. And then we do nothing and we invest more. And I think it's that scale of pacificity of how passive your investments are and what do you actually want to do with your time. And if you want to run a business and invest in property and that's what you want to do with your time, go for it. It can create slightly better returns than index funds, but then the cost for that is investing your time. And now Katie and I, we want to spend our time traveling the world, running the Rebel Finance School, like talking to people like you, Tim, hanging out, chatting, going for amazing breakfast, going cycling around Bogota on a random Sunday. Like that's what we want to do with our time. I don't want to be fixing a toilet in Basingstoke. No offense, <laughs> Basingstoke. Um, but I think that's a different way to think of it. And actually, for the people listening to this, if you've got a side hustle, if you've got a business, invest your time and energy there to get returns and then take your money and put it in index funds. And that gives you more time to do what you actually want to do, especially if you're building a business around your passion. Like it doesn't feel like oh, that's what I want to do with my time. I'll do that. And then I'll put my money in index funds. So I guess the real fundamental question is how do you want to spend your time, Tim? Everyone listening to this, how do you want to spend your time and then invest in alignment with that? Brilliant. I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, like you said, if you enjoy property management or you enjoy real estate, then by all means, that's go for it. Yeah, you should do it. But um, I, I've just felt the pressure like, wow, I really should be buying an apartment or I should be buying a duplex and renting one side out. And, and so to hear other people reaching FI without doing that, I find very comforting. So there's some shoulds in there. And there is, depending on the world you operate in, there is societal pressure to do certain things. So if you're in the financial independence world, property has become a big should. Like we should do property. Uh, and I guess like I would say to everyone listening to this, stop shooting all over yourself <laughs> and just choose what you actually want to do with life. Because this is where a lot of this goes wrong. People, when they're starting businesses, say, I should write a business plan. I should invest this. I should do that. And I was like, no, like do what feels right. Do, do it a different way. Don't do what everyone else does. Actually, if you do what everyone else does, you'll probably get the same results as everyone else. And that to me, like, I don't want the same results as everyone else. 53% of Americans can't survive a month without money. Like, I don't want the average results. I'm not going to do what they do. Forget should. Do something else. Do something fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get on my soapbox about the uh, the difference between <laughs> the, the nine to five and the entrepreneur. Uh, because I, I think, too, the pandemic has revealed to folks that that what we call in the States, that W-2 job or that mm -hmm. nine to five cubicle job isn't the security we all thought it was. Uh, and I think now people are, are thinking that maybe entrepreneurship might be more financially secure because at least you're in control of some aspects of that. Whereas if you're at the whim of a single source of income by one person or one company, you, you're, you're helpless at certain times. I think the only real security is your own ability to create wealth. 
whether that's making sales and building a business, whether you've got really good at a certain job, whether you're great at interviewing and getting new jobs. I know it's your own skills and your own ability to make wealth is the only security we have. No one else is going to offer you security. And they can't because in a pandemic world, no one knew that tourism would be shut down for a year. And also no one knew that jigsaws were going to be the number one money-making industry for a year. Like No one knew that. If you were in a jigsaw company, you were just lucky. If you were in a tourist business, you were unlucky. And you can't have that security. The only security is do you have the skills to make your own money, to sell, to market, to build businesses. If you have those skills, you'll be all right no matter what happens. If you don't, the silence was me pulling a scared face, by the way. I forgot I was on a podcast for a second. If only you could see my face. It was scared, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saved my biggest, most controversial question for last. Uh-oh. And that is, who would win in a steel cage death match, Brad or Jonathan? <laughs> So for those of you listening who don't know, there is a podcast called Choose FI, Choose Financial Independence. It's fabulous. The hosts are Brad and Jonathan. They're the most lovely people. Um, and when you meet them, Brad is the most laid back, chilled out, like just a lovely human being. And he's financially independent. He just wants to spend time with his family playing board games or watching his kids swim. That's what he wants to do. Uh, Jonathan is full of energy, full of zeal. Um, yeah, and I think Brad would never even get in the cage. He'd be like, <laughs> why am I doing this? I'm FI. I just want to be at home. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, I think if I had to bet the match, I'd probably put it on Jonathan, who's a, who's got full of energy. Um, <laughs> Well, that was a bit of a joke question. So, so let me follow it up with a related real one. Uh, I'm, I, th this relationship between financial independence and entrepreneurship, I, you know, giving what you do with the, with the, the school and, and the podcast, uh, what you and Simon are working on, it seems to me that you put a, a heavy emphasis on the earning aspect, not just the saving. And, yes. uh, and it seems like you can accelerate the earning more so if, if you have your own business or or a side hustle. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship between FI and entrepreneurship? So the, if the basis of financial independence is reduce your expenditure, increase your income. So there's a gap between the two and then take that money, the gap between the two and invest it. That's basically financial under financial independence in a sentence. Um, there is only so far you can screw down expenses. Like There are certain things that I don't want to give up in life, Tim. It's not about deprivation. I love a fancy breakfast. I love a fancy coffee out. Like I like food. I like breakfast. I like that stuff. I quite like Lego. I spend money on Lego. <laughs> I have my guilty pleasures. I don't want to give those up, and I would rather earn more and live a bigger life than screw my expenses down to the floor just to have all my time back. And actually, the reason I feel I feel this way is because I enjoy what I do to earn money. If I didn't enjoy what I do to earn money, I think it would be a different answer. But I love what I do. So 
I focus on earning more, which creates a bigger gap, which means I can invest more, which means I can get there faster. And we have, like, don't be, don't get me wrong, like we make salads at home for lunch when we we were working probably five, six years, we made salads at home. They were bigger, they were healthier, and they were cheaper. Like, we saved a fortune. I can't remember the exact figure, but it was something like £40,000 we saved just by making salads at home. And I was healthier, and they were bigger than the salads you buy in a shop. So don't get me wrong, we did lower our expenses. I drove a, a car, a small car, because... I didn't need a big car. I didn't need it. So we did reduce our expenditure, but then we also focused very heavily on earning more. So Katie quit her full-time job and went contracting. I focused heavily on business, growing businesses, making opportunities, and that brought in a lot more money. And the relationship between FI and entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship is a tool that you can use to increase your income and increase your happiness if you're building a business, doing something you enjoy that will make you more money that can get you towards financial independence. There is, can I add one more piece? Sure. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically you're in charge for the okay. day. Okay. Then um, I'll give you permission to add one more piece. <laughs> why thank you, Sir Tim. Um, so the Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Season 3 uh, which, as we record this, hasn't been released yet, but will be by the time this episode comes out. Uh, the guy's name's Andrew, Andrew Alinda, and he's building a YouTube channel uh, on calisthenics, so exercise. And he's built this YouTube channel. His first question was, can you help me monetize my YouTube channel? I've been doing it for a year. I've not made anything. Can you help me monetize it? And he sent me a message the other day He's monetized it. He's making income. It's going really well. And the message he sent me was between he's got a job between his savings and investment and his income from his side hustle, like he's 40% of the way to FI. And the side hustle income is a big part of that because he's not going to stop doing it when he technically retires when he stops his full-time employment he's got this income from something he's built alongside so actually if you can build a small income doing something you love you can massively reduce the amount of money you need to have saved and invested so let's say just as a stereotypical fi target which is a million invested gives you 40 grand a year to live on if your side hustle is bringing in 10 because it's fun and you make some money and you sell a few bits. You've got some, whatever it is, advertising money coming in, who knows what it is. You're doing photography on the side. You're doing baking. You're making 10 K. Well, now if you enjoy it and want to keep doing it in retirement, because it gives you purpose because you're contributing and growing, well, then you only need 30 from your investments and you can get there a lot easier. And, for most of the people who are building businesses who are working on financial independence, the thought of sitting on a beach for the rest of your life sounds very appealing until you do it for about three months. And then you're like, what am I actually going to do with my life? This is boring. Yeah. Um, and you need something to do. 
So financial independence can be a great tool to change your finances, the way you operate and help you to get there far quicker. That's how I look at it anyway. Love it. Alan, I've, I'm just so grateful that you've given me this opportunity to take over and ask you these questions. I've just, um, I, I'm just delighted. I, I'm so appreciative. Thank you. Was, is there anything I can do to help you, Tim? Well, like you've come on, you've grilled me, which I love. I've had the <laughs> opportunity to talk on my own podcast at Finitum. I'm a little bit worried that these takeover episodes, people are going to hear a lot of me and then go, why am I listening to this podcast? Bring back the guests. Um, <laughs> But like, what can we do to help you? Where are you with your business? What are you doing? Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a publisher. I'm a writer and publisher. And uh, I, I left my teaching position about four years ago and, and have been living on, on this, which is, which is great. Uh, so I consider myself to be a solopreneur. But over the past year or so, uh, with my friend Ryan, I've, re- I've launched this Teaching Transformations website. And we're at the very beginning right now. And uh, we don't want to build anything until we know what people want. And I, I'm a student of yours, so I know. <laughs> don't rush out there and build something. I don't, you know, That's not the way to do it. So what we're doing now is we're doing a podcast and a weekly newsletter. And we're going to give it a year or so. And, and then when we have a few hundred people on an email list, we're going to ask them, what do you need to 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 pl- prepare for retirement? Because our angle is there are tons of financial resources to get you to retirement, but not many people are talking about what do you do with the time once you get there? And that's what we want to help people start to think about now, especially people who are in education. What skills can you take that you're doing now and maybe do those in retirement? So I guess the, the, the biggest problem that we have, or, or the question I would ask you is, how do we start building that audience um, beyond the the podcast and the newsletter? Uh, you know, what, and again, you published an episode today as we record this that gave us some great tips. But uh, <laughs> you know, like we're, we're based. I, I have a I have a publishing business, but it's completely unrelated, so I can't tap that audience. I'm starting mm-hmm. from zero. So, what what might be one or two things you would do if you were you were starting from absolute zero with no audience? So, from absolute zero. I think you've actually done the first step, which is specifically who are you looking for? Because I think that's sometimes the hardest question because you go, who are you helping? And people go, everyone. And that's the quickest route to failure. But you've got 40s to 50s year old teachers. That's awesome. You've got a very specific audience. Then I'm going, where do they hang out? Physically, online, Where do they hang out? Where do they spend their time? Is it teachers' Facebook groups? Is it teachers' conferences? Is it certain podcasts? Is it uh, Twitter accounts? I know my teacher friends use Twitter quite a lot, which is interesting. And then I'm thinking, okay, so if I know where they hang out, now I need to go and chat to them. That's it. So I'm going to join the teacher's retirement group. I'm going to join the this. I'm going to follow the Twitter thing. I'm going to speak to the people. I'm going to... There must be a podcast for teachers that is non-competing, not about retirement, but it's about teacher's life. There are. In fact, there are several teacher podcasts for FI as well, which Oof. is kind of interesting. Um, uh, that's a Have sub-niche. you messaged them? Uh, that I've messaged a couple. I have a few scheduled. Um Hopefully I can be a guest. Hopefully I can have them on my podcast, on our podcast. 
um, hopefully, you know, because I think it's the same audience and they're not and they're not really competing with each, like our services aren't really competing with each other. Which I love that. And then I would look outside the FI world to general teacher stuff, because mm-hmm. I think that's a really fascinating audience and it's probably more mainstream mm-hmm. with a wider reach into teachers than there. But it's the same it's the same for every business is who are we approaching? Where do they hang out? Let's make friends and let's give them an offer. And it's sort of that order. And the final piece is the offer. Right? If you're thinking about what do I do after teaching, you need to join my mailing list. Now, go to this <laughs> website. Come on. We want to help you. That's the whole purpose. But if we haven't done step one, two, and three, we can never get to the offer step. Right. Uh, and that's right. what I would be doing. And it's the it's the work of getting in there and chatting to them. And actually, that should be quite fun because you like talking about this subject. Well, I hope you do anyway. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, for me, this is the... This is the passion and purpose project. of It's the third act of my life, and I, I want it to be the one that has the most impact. And so I feel like if I can help other people who are about my age think about what's coming 10 or 15 years out, that feels really fulfilling to me. I love that. I love that. And in traditional movie world, there are only three acts in a movie. Uh, but I recently learned that in a TV show, there can be up to six acts. Um, because you have the advert breaks and they have to make the story work within the advert breaks. So I wouldn't be thinking that the third act is your last act. There are many more to come, Tim. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, that's, that would be what I would be doing. And I would have a a one page website that simply describes what we're doing with a sign up form. That's what Katie and I did for the first version of rebel finance school was called take control of your finances at that stage and we did a simple one-page thing with a sign-up form and asked people if they want it and funny enough i think it was about 300 people signed up Mm. and i was like wow there must be a need for this so i better write the course now they've all signed (laughs) up um and then we wrote the course delivered it uh got the feedback did version two and you sort of grow from there um but that's it and i think yeah, if I, if I could say one thing to all of the audience, people make business finance too complex. Like it's actually the basic, simple stuff that you do regularly that will create it. So if we can regularly do the marketing to teachers and the very basics, who, where are they, send them a message, make friends, and then get them on the mailing list. If we do those basics repeatedly, it builds an incredible business. But people make this very complex sometimes. and. It's just the simple stuff. The same with finances. Reduce your expenditure, earn a bit more, invest the difference. Wonderful. And we start making progress towards it. Uh, There are subtleties, don't get me wrong. But like if you just do the basics consistently over time, it is incredible where one gets to. Yep. Uh, Thank you. And and, and I'm I'm so glad, Alan, you didn't say... Well, you got to start doing Google AdWords and you have to start running Facebook ads. I, I love the fact that you said the basics are just meeting those people where they are and offering help. And that, that 
that's it. And yes, we can get more complex as we go. Yes, we can, once it's up and running, run many experiments, mini marketing experiments on adverts or this, or spend some little bit of money. But I would never do that until I've proved whether there's a need because with the free tools out there, you could easily put this in front of a few thousand teachers and see if they sign up. If anyone signs up, then we have a gig. If they don't, then we need to rethink it. But yeah. we can do that all for free to validate whether or not we have a great idea, whether or not we've got it quite right. We don't need to spend money at the start. Well, you, everyone listening knows this by now. And if you don't, <laughs> please go back to listen to the first episode, Five Ways to Build a Business with No Money. Uh, you do not need to spend money to make money. It's like, let's scrap that belief immediately. Yes, yes. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So if there are any teachers listening to this, Tim, where do they go to find out more about you? They can just go to teachingtransformations.com. And I happen to have a single page sign up for the newsletter. So (laughs) very simple, uncomplicated. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, And thank you so much for coming on the show, taking over the Rebel Entrepreneur, grilling me with some fun questions and being part of the gang. I really appreciate it. You've been fabulous. Thanks, Alan. My pleasure. I'm honored to be here. Awesome. And to those of you listening, here is what we would like you to go and do. So, Tim, what's your closing message for people? What do you actually want them to do based on listening to this episode? I think the first step, Alan, for most people is to not be worried or scared or pretend the future isn't coming, but maybe to be more intentional about it. So getting a cup of coffee, finding a quiet space in your home or a cafe and thinking about, you know, what, what might your retirement look like if, if you, um, you know, if you leave your job on your own volition or, or you're, you're asked to leave, or if you reach financial independence, what do you want your life to be? What's it look like when you wake up um, on a typical day, a typical week? And just start thinking about what that might look like. And I think that's a fantastic action because we're all doing this to build a life we want to live. And one of the things that really struck me recently, Tim, was this meme that came out and it said that people think that self-care is having a bubble bath buying some chocolate, like pampering yourself. Whereas actually self-care is building a life you don't want to run away from. And if you spend your energy, your time, your ideas, creating a life that you truly are attracted to live, there is nothing better. But it all starts with you taking the action to build the life of your dreams. And that is what the rebel entrepreneur is all about. Stop shooting all over yourself and start building the life of your dreams. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.